So we've spent the last uh, several weeks of Advent in a teaching series, a series of sermons called While We Wait. You know, Advent is a time where we look back on how God was faithful to the people of Israel when they waited for centuries, for generations for a Messiah to come, and he was faithful on Christmas Day to send that Messiah into the world. That's what we look at during Advent, but in Advent we also look forward to the second coming where Jesus has promised us that he will return and he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And so we look back during Advent, we look ahead during Advent, but we also recognize that the big waiting, waiting for the Messiah, waiting for Christ to return, it teaches us some things about our current waiting. And one of the things that I know is that we're all waiting for something. Everyone in this room is waiting for something. Our kids, my kids, are waiting for Christmas Day. And they will tell you that it's six days away. They know. They've been counting down for the last, like, 50 days. You know, they got on a little early on the Christmas train this year. Our Advent calendar didn't take us that long. Emily, next year, Advent uh, podcast may have to stretch. We have to start in, like, August or something. But my kids, they're ready for Christmas. There's presents under the tree that are driving them crazy. They're ready to open them. They're waiting for Christmas. Um, Our students are waiting for Christmas vacation. (laughs) And they're like, I'm just ready for two weeks off. You're a teacher. You're like, man, I just, I can't get here fast enough. Um, Some of you, uh, if you're in business or some other industry, you're waiting for your end of year bonus. And uh, I hope you're not planning on building a pool with it. um, Because as we all know from the Griswolds, that sometimes a Christmas bonus can be a jelly of the month club. But I'm praying for your sake that you get money for your Christmas bonus. But some of you are waiting for that. That's, that's part of how you provide for your family. You're waiting for your Christmas bonus. Um, those are somewhat trivial things. Some of you are waiting for significant things, things that perhaps are painful. Um, I had uh, dinner this week with a friend who is waiting. They're waiting for a child, he and his wife. Um, and he told me, he said, man, every month when the pregnancy test comes back negative, He's like, man, it's just a reminder that it feels like we're going to have to wait forever. And he says the waiting is excruciating. I actually talked this week as well to a friend of mine whose wife left him for good. And he's just waiting for the shock to wear off. And he's waiting for God to give him the strength to move forward in life. And he's wondering, is is that strength ever going to come? Because right now he's just hanging on by a thread. Um, some of us, it's not that you're waiting on something monumental or even painful. Some of you, you just might be kind of bored with life. And you're just waiting for God to give you a sense of purpose. Um, some of you, you're, you're, you're simply, you, you can't really articulate it, but you're just like, I'm just waiting for my situation to get better, whatever that even means. Some of you, if you're like me, you're like, I just want the pandemic to be over. Like, I, this week just reminded me again, uh, uh, Omicron variant and new mandates and all that. Like, it just reminded me, it's like, man, it's been going on for, when is this ever going to end? We're all waiting. We're all waiting for something. And this is our final regular Sunday for the year. So we have Christmas Eve coming up this week, and then the 26th, we're doing an online worship at home sort of thing. But as we round out 2021, together, and we start looking forward to 2022, I know that all of you are waiting for something. And I know that your prayers are that in this new year that God would deliver on that thing that you're waiting on. And he may or he may not. I don't know. I can't speak. I don't know the mind of God. But I do want to give you today four encouragements while you wait. 
This is, a, this is not a, I don't have a singular text where I'm picking apart one passage of Scripture, and that's going to be where we land today. You've got four encouragements, four Scriptures. Think of them as miniature sermons. Four, four for the price of one today, okay? Squeezing in all I've got left at the end of the year, but four encouragements for you while you wait. And the first thing I want to say is this, is for encourage, the first encouragement I want to give you is this. God will sustain you while you wait. Like, I don't know anything sweeter that I can tell you, but that God will sustain you while you wait. One of the most challenging aspects of waiting for anything, longing for anything, is there's the fear that you won't have the strength to make it. You know what I mean? How much longer, we think, how, can, how much longer can I endure this? Or the question that really can get our minds spinning and racing and our heart beating fast is, what if this thing that I'm waiting for, what if it never happens? Uh, if, if this thing I'm waiting for, if it never happens, will I make it? Will I survive? And you may think to yourself, I don't have the endurance to wait forever. I can't do it. You see, I'm convinced that the hardest part of waiting is the way that our brains fixate on the hypotheticals. You know what I mean? You guys ever lay in bed at night and stress out over what might happen, not what actually is happening? I think the what if this never happens is the hardest part about waiting, is not knowing how it all ends is what, what makes us frustrated. And our anxiety today is often fueled by our fear of tomorrow. But I want to encourage you today, as best I can, don't fix your mind on forever. And don't fix your mind on the what ifs and the how will I evers, but I want you to trust in God's grace today. Jesus himself said on the Sermon on the Mount, he said, do not worry about tomorrow. That's a command from Jesus. And you're, that's the hardest command of all of them to follow. You're like, I, like that. Jesus said, do not worry about tomorrow. Why? He says, tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You're like, Jesus, that's not encouraging. I know that each day has got some trouble. But Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's going to take care of itself. Today has enough trouble of its own. Trust me today. Uh, just right before Jesus said that, he told us how to pray. He said, when you pray, pray like this. Give us today, God, our daily bread. Jesus didn't tell us to pray for our monthly bread. He didn't tell us to pray for our yearly bread. He told us to pray for our daily bread. And if you've read the Old Testament, you know that Jesus is kind of making a callback to the story of the people of God wandering in the wilderness in Exodus. You guys remember that story? You guys, um, uh, you guys remember that story, right? In uh, the wilderness in uh, the book of Exodus, the people of Israel, they're wandering in the desert and they're panicking over not having enough food. And God, in his grace, he says to the Israelites, he says, look, I'm going to send manna from heaven every morning. Each as, eat as much as you'd like every day. But what did the people do? They did the same thing that we did when the pandemic first started. We ran to Costco. We stocked up on toilet paper. We stocked up on, you know, milk and all these other things. Because we, we wanted to be certain that we had what we needed for the long haul. 
that we wouldn't be in need. And that's exactly what the people of uh, Israel did in the wilderness. They, God sent manna from heaven on the ground when they woke up, and he said, eat as much as you'd like today, and guess what? There's more coming tomorrow. But what did they do? They started hoarding the manna. They started gathering it up, sticking it in their pockets, sticking it in their backpacks, sticking it in their tents. And God was like, what are you doing? It's going to rot overnight. He said, it's, 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 worms are going to show up if you try to do this. He said, I want you to enjoy today what I give you from heaven. And guess what? Trust me that tomorrow I'm going to do the same thing. And for 40 years, every day, manna from heaven would be on the ground when the sun came up. And don't you know that in that season of waiting, the people of Israel, they learned something about God's grace. And that is that it doesn't get distributed all at once. It gets distributed day by day by day. Give us this day our daily bread is what Jesus commanded us to pray. And I believe it's what he promises to give us. Betsy Childs Howard, who I recommended her book, Seasons of Waiting, last week. And uh, I recommend it again this week. Um, but she says, the Israelites, they lived on manna for 40 years and she says, and if your particular season of waiting lasts for 40 years, God will supply your daily needs as well. She then adds, she says, if you are walking through a season of waiting, my question for you is this. Can you live for the next 24 hours without whatever it is you are waiting for? Can you trust God to get you through today? And she says, if the answer is yes, then you have everything you need and everything that it takes to survive for the long haul. You'll just need to ask yourself the same question tomorrow. I find hope in that, don't you? Because I can get really nervous about what is, God, are you going to, am I going to be okay? Is my family going to be taken care of? What do the next 40 years look like? But here's what I know. I can trust that God's going to get me to bedtime tonight. He's going to sustain me till bedtime. And the sun's going to come up tomorrow, and he's going to sustain me till bedtime tomorrow night. And he's not going to give me everything I need to get through the next 40 years today, but he's going to give me everything I need to get through the next 24 hours each day because God gives us our daily bread. Second thing I want to encourage you with is this, is that God's people will encourage you while you wait. One of the things that can make waiting so difficult is that it can make us feel like we're all alone. You know what I mean? You're in a season of waiting, waiting for something to happen, waiting for marriage, waiting for a child, waiting for a job, waiting to graduate, waiting for a relationship to be restored, waiting for recognition, waiting for whatever. One of the hardest things about waiting is we feel like we're all alone. I think one of the great lies of the enemy is to convince us that no one could ever possibly understand our pain or our struggles. And so we think that we're the only ones. We think we're all alone. So two things happen. Either, often what happens in our pain and our waiting is one, we either think that our pain is so much greater and so much more unique than everyone else's. I'm a pretty dramatic person. Um, my, one of my daughters gets it from me. You know, I, I'm, I, I can be overly dramatic, overly serious. And one of the things that happens to me is when I'm going through something hard, I think, oh, this is so hard. No one could possibly understand how hard this is. And so what I end up doing 
is I isolate myself. And I think they'll never understand, so I, I isolate myself and I turn inward. That's not good. Other people, I've seen many people do this, is you actually, what happens is not that you think your struggles are too great, you actually think your struggles aren't that big of a deal. You think, oh, compared to everyone else's, my problems are not problems at all. So no one would, you think no one would care, and you think, I don't want to bother anyone. And so you don't bother anyone, and you isolate yourself. And those beliefs can do violence to your soul. There is nothing that will destroy hope and faith in your life more than isolation. And if we believe these lies, that our problems are too big and too, we're too misunderstood for everyone, or if we believe our problems are too small for anyone to give a rip, if we believe those things, what we will do is we will isolate ourselves from other people, we'll try to process our pain alone, and what we will do is we will actually forfeit God's greatest gift of encouragement that he's given to our lives, which is his people, the church. Nothing destroys faith and hope more than isolation. So when you are in pain, when you are in waiting, run toward community, not away from it. It's Christmas, so we read a lot of Luke chapter 1 around these, this time of year. But one of the things that I noticed this week is that Luke, and in Luke chapter 1, Mary receives news that she's pregnant and that she's carrying the Savior of the world. Now, that's a, that's a pretty heavy burden to carry. And very few people, uh, no one can understand what that's like. And you would, it would have been really easy for Mary to just be like, no one could possibly understand the fear that I have and the anxiety that I'm facing. And she could have easily turned inward and assumed that nobody would understand and assume that, or assume that no one cares, but that's not what she did at all. In fact, Luke chapter 1 tells us that she runs, pregnant teenage girl, running through the hillsides to community. Luke chapter 1 verse 39 says, In those days... Mary arose and went with haste, that means she ran, into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with, filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you, Mary, among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. You see, Mary's first instinct in her waiting was to run towards community and not away from it. And what she received when she got to Elizabeth's house was a blessing. I'm sure she was afraid that when she told Elizabeth, hey, I'm... A virgin, I'm pregnant. And I, she, she was probably afraid that when she said that, she would, might be shunned or she might be rebuked. She might be misunderstood, but that's not what was given to her. Instead, she received fellowship and she received a blessing and she received Elizabeth's joining with her and celebrating what God was doing in her life. And she was also found a friend who was able to share in her waiting because Elizabeth if anyone was able to understand what Mary was going through, it was Elizabeth. Because Elizabeth was also carrying a miraculous child, John. And Elizabeth was able to share in the waiting with Mary. They shared their season of waiting together. My friend Sharon Hottie Miller says, When we look at Luke chapter 1, what we see is that waiting is much more of a team sport than an individual sport. 
When it comes to the waiting and the preparation of the Christian life, Sharon says, we are our brother's keeper, so to speak. Or as we see in this story of Mary and Elizabeth, we are our sister's keeper. You know, in my own life, I've gone through some pretty painful seasons of waiting. Seasons where I didn't know how I was going to get out of it. I didn't know how God was going to come through. And I just, I cannot boast in God's people enough. Because it is when I was at my lowest, when I felt like I had no strength to endure, that it was through Christian friendships and Christian mentors and people within our church so many times in my life who came into my life when I was at my weakest and I was able to borrow their strength when I didn't have any. And I was able to borrow their faith when I didn't have any. And I was able to borrow their prayers when I didn't know what to pray myself. You see, this is what the church is. You know, the church is not just sermons and songs. It's not something you tune into online and watch and then go on with your life. The church is the people of God in a community that you can share your life with, share your struggles with, and when you don't have strength, when you don't have faith, you borrow the strength and the faith from others. That's the gift of the church. Not a couple of, not 50 ser- 52 sermons a year but the people of God giving you strength and grace and faith and prayers when you need them most. If you're in a season of waiting, run toward community, not away from it. Betsy Howard again says, you are not the only one who is waiting or has waited. Sounds a little harsh, but we need to hear it sometimes, don't we? You're not the only one. Ask your friends and acquaintances and ask the people in your small group what they are waiting for. Ask church leaders what seasons of waiting they have walked through. Find out what sustained them. The school of waiting doesn't have to be a one-on-one tutorial between you and God alone. God has put other believers in your life to encourage you and to be encouraged by you. God's people will encourage you while you wait. So press into community, not away from it. Third encouragement is this. Serving others will prepare you while you wait. In the Gospel of Matthew, there's this interesting passage in chapter 24, 25, where the crowds are gathering around Jesus, and Jesus starts talking about the end of time. We all excited about the end of time, right? Everybody loves, you know, end times, everybody's on the edge of their seats. They want to hear more about it. And Jesus was talking about his second coming, and everybody gets curious. And they're asking all these questions. And the disciples lean in, and they're like, hey, Jesus, you don't have to tell us the details. Like you don't have to tell them, but just like whisper it in our ears. Like, what, when is the second coming thing? When is it going to happen? Tell us all the details. How long are we going to have to wait? And Jesus says, nope, not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you when I'm coming. In fact, I don't even know when I'm coming. Only the Father knows that, and he's going to send me when the time is right. But then Jesus does something very wise. He turns their attention from his second coming And he turns our attention to judgment day. And listen to what he says in Matthew 25. He says, when the Son of Man, me, Jesus, says, when I come in glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, You who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And Jesus says, for I was hungry, and you gave me food. 
I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when, when did we see you hungry? And when did we feed you? And when did we see you thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. I think Jesus knew that for most of us, when we're in a season of waiting, we will be tempted to either become obsessed with the details of our waiting, when will it end, how much longer, or we will become passive and lazy while we wait. Well, God's going to do what God's going to do, so I'm just going to sit around and wait for him to do it. But Jesus says, while you wait, you are to serve others. And that will prepare you for the day that you're waiting for, which is the day that you'll meet me face to face. You see, I said this last week, but the ultimate thing that we're all waiting for as Christians is that we're waiting for the return of Jesus. We're waiting for that moment in the new heavens and new earth where Jesus wipes every tear from our eyes and says, come in <laughs> and advocates for, for us before the Father and says, welcome into my kingdom. We're waiting for that day. Well, the question is, what do we do in the meantime? Uh, do we study end times charts and try to predict when he's going to show up again? Do we ignore his commands to serve our neighbors while we wait? Do we just do what we want until he shows up? No, we prepare for the day when we will meet Jesus by serving those whom he loves today. Truly, I say to you, Jesus said, as you did it to one of the least of these, you did it to me. You guys hear that? When you serve the marginalized, it's as if you are serving Jesus himself. And when you do that, your friendship and your relationship with Jesus actually deepens. And I've always had a hard time wrapping my mind around that statement of Jesus, but just a few weeks ago, I had a moment, uh, just like an epiphany, where I realized in small, in part, what Jesus was saying. So most of you know my son has some developmental disabilities. He has um, severe autism and severe cerebral palsy. Um, and that, what that has done for me is it's given me just a unique heart and a unique connection to people with disabilities. So I went through most of my life, I mean, frankly, just walking by and not noticing people that would have disabilities. But now... Every building I walk into, I'm checking to see if there's ramps and if it's, you know, accessible and all these sort of things. And anytime I see somebody who's disabled on the street, like my heart is knitted to them in some way that I can't explain. Like it, it, my, the, my experience with my son has made, given me a compassion for people who are disabled in a way that I just, I, I, I can't explain. Now, some of you guys know I'm also, I'm a part of a local running club here in Brooklyn, the Brooklyn Track Club. And there's a guy on our track team who has kind of similar, not as severe, but similar disabilities to my son. So he has um, what I imagine to be a tinge of cerebral palsy and what, it, what I imagine to be some autism in him. And so what happens is he shows up to our track practice. There's all these people. And um, just frankly, he can be a little awkward um, he can be a little, um, uh, it, it's hard sometimes to interact with him when, you're try, when you've got other things you're trying to do. Um, people, it, it's easy, he, he misunderstands social cues. 
And so what happens is sometimes to, to bring him into the conversation is just, it, 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 it's so difficult for people that most people just ignore him. And so a lot of times I'll notice, I'll see him at practice. He's just kind of off on his own. But a couple of weeks ago, I watched as one of my teammates, a guy named Clay. For those of you who cheered me on in the marathon uh, a couple of weeks ago, Clay was the guy that ran with me for 20 miles and then blasted me in the last six. Um, but uh, I watched as my friend Clay took several minutes to talk to this young man. And he encouraged him. He dignified him. He put his arm around him. He even took a picture with him. This guy posted it on his Instagram page. It was awesome. And to be honest with you, as I watched my friend Clay be kind to this man with disabilities, in some strange way, it, it felt as if Clay was being kind to me. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, there's not a gift Clay could have given to me that would have made me feel more loved by Clay than watching Clay love this other guy. Because my, there's something about my heart that is knit to people with disabilities because of my experience with my son. And so in that moment, Clay was actually not loving me. He was loving someone else. But my love for Clay deepened, and my relationship and friendship with him grew stronger because of the way he cared for somebody that I care about. And similarly, last week when we had 30 of you guys show up to the guild and serve all these adults with Down syndrome and all these disabilities, it felt like you guys were serving me. And my love for you grew greater because, the, it, you see, Jesus. what I'm trying to say is that Jesus is so closely aligned with the hurting, with the marginalized, with the oppressed, with the hungry, with the thirsty, the naked, the foreigner, the sick, and the prisoner, that every time you serve someone who is hungry, and every time you serve someone who is sick, and every time you serve someone who is poor, or every time you serve someone who is disabled, you are serving Jesus. And on that day when you see him face to face, he's going to say, thank you for that day that you fed me. Thank you for that day that you clothed me. Thank you for that day that you sang Christmas carols to me at the Guild for Exceptional Children. And you're going to say, Jesus, were you there? He's going to say, oh, yeah, I was there. There were like 75 of me in that room. And when you, blessed, when you blessed them, you were blessing me. And do you see what happens? Your friendship with Jesus and your relationship with Jesus deepens when you serve the people he loves. And so you say, what do I do while I'm waiting for the second coming? What do I'm waiting? I, want to, I just can't wait to see Jesus face to face. Well, I'll tell you this. If in the meantime you serve his people, the day you meet him face to face is going to be much, much sweeter and much, much richer. Because if you keep reading in Matthew 25, there's some words, harsh words of judgment for those who sat on their hands and did not serve the poor and the vulnerable. While you wait, one of the ways that you can take your mind off of your own discontent and your own struggles and fears is to serve others in Jesus' name. Nothing will prepare you to meet Jesus more than that. Last thing I want to encourage you with is this. Waiting time, and I got this from Kyle. I'm not, I'm not going to steal this from you, Kyle. Uh, this was from staff meeting this week. Kyle said this. He said, your waiting time is never wasted time. Your waiting time is never wasted time. James chapter 1 says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. 
James wrote that. James was the brother of Jesus, and he was the pastor of Jerusalem after Jesus' resurrection and ascension. Hard time to be a pastor in Jerusalem. Read history. A lot going on. Romans, Jewish people. I mean, it was, it was wild. And he was pastoring a church through some really difficult, really dark, really hard times. And he says, count it all joy when you face trials of various kinds. He says, when you are waiting and it feels like you have to wait forever and your heart aches for God to deliver on the promise you feel like he's given you, when you are in a painful season of waiting, he says, consider it all joy. And you're like, consider it all joy while I'm waiting for a spouse? Consider it all joy while I'm waiting for my family to be provided for? Consider it all joy while I'm waiting for people at work to notice the work I'm doing? Consider it joy while I'm waiting for a child to come home after years of rebellion? And James says, yes, consider it all joy. Because he says that in our waiting, God is giving us a gift. Because it is in the trials of our waiting that God cultivates in us the character that he wants in us. You see, in our mass market, post-industrial internet age that we live in, where we can get anything we want fast and cheap, Heard somebody say today, I said, hey, did you see Spider-Man? They're like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to download the bootleg tonight. I'm like, just pay. Alpine's only 10 bucks. Just go to the theater and pay for it. But we want everything fast and cheap. We've, our brain has been wired to believe that we are entitled to everything when we want it and for as cheaply as we, we, we want it. But in the kingdom of God, waiting is not a curse. Waiting is not a bug in the software. It's a feature. <laughs> because it's in our seasons of waiting that God produces in us endurance and perseverance and godly character. Listen, you know, everybody, I've had some of you come up to me, you're like, oh man, you know, Advent, I've never celebrated Advent. I grew up in a church, we didn't talk about Advent. And it's been really good to focus on waiting during this season. But here's the thing, if you realize, if you come to understand that waiting is a central theme throughout the Bible, you'll begin to see it everywhere. It is in our waiting that God produces what he is producing in us. God uses seasons of waiting to prepare his people for the life that he's calling us to live. Think about Moses. God called Moses to lead the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And you're like, let's go. Like it's early on in the book. You're like, God, Mo Moses is the deliverer. But then Moses goes out to the wilderness for 40 years and tends, for, tends sheep. And you're like, 40 years? What? Like, why do you have to wait? Because it was in the wilderness tending sheep that Moses learned what it meant to be a leader. It was in his season of waiting that God prepared him for the path that he had for him. Think about David. In 1 Samuel, David was anointed by God to be the king of Israel. It's like this real climactic moment. You're like, David, this little runt, he's an unimpressive little guy. His brothers are all big and strong, and they all made fun of him. And the Holy Spirit is like, David, you're going to be the king of Israel. And then David goes back to the pasture and starts shepherding sheep. It's in the pasture where David learned how to lead his people. And then when David finally did get to the palace, um, he, <laughs> he was falsely accused and then had to go on the run and spent the next decade or so on his life on the run. He's, there were years between when David was, the spirit said David would be king and when he actually took his throne. But it was in those years of pain and waiting and trial and tribulation that God cultivated in David the skills he would need to lead God's people. God told Joseph, 
God gave Joseph a vision that Joseph was going to be the one to save Israel and save his brothers. But then Joseph spent two decades in slavery and in prison. But it was in slavery and in prison where Joseph made the connections that he would need to make, that God would need to allow him to make so that he could deliver his brothers and his people. God called Paul to be an apostle. I mean, like most of our New Testament is written by the apostle Paul. But you know there were roughly 17 years between when God called, knocked Paul off of his horse, blinded him, and called him to ministry. There were 17 years between when God called Paul to ministry and when Paul was first commissioned as a missionary by the apostles. So Moses waited 40 years before, God, uh, before he got to see what it was God was calling him to. David, probably 15 to 20 years. Joseph, 20 years. Paul, 17 years. Even Jesus spent 30 years in obscurity. Luke chapter 2 says, he spent those years increasing in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. You see, while Jesus waited, he was being formed more into the image of his father, more into favor with his father, and when the time was right, God put him forth and Jesus began his ministry. So are you in a season of waiting? Are you frustrated about the, that God is taking, it seems to be taking his time? Join the club. Join the club. The history of Christianity is full of men and women who God used long seasons of waiting to prepare them for the great callings he placed on their lives. Do not despise the waiting that God has put you in. It's likely where God is doing his greatest work in your life. The Bible is full of promises that those who wait on God will indeed be rewarded. This is not a promise that everything you want will come to pass, but this is a promise that those who wait on the Lord, you will be rewarded. Listen to this. This is how I'm going to finish out today. I just want to read scripture over you. Isaiah 30, verse 18. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. You're blessed today if you're waiting on him. Psalm 25, 3, Indeed, none who wait for the Lord shall be put to shame. Isaiah 64, 4, From of old no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you, a God who acts for those who wait for him. And I love this one, Isaiah 40, verse 31, Those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. So be encouraged as you wait. God will sustain you. God's people will encourage you. Serving others will prepare you. And as Pastor Kyle says, your waiting time is never wasted time. Let me pray for us, church. God, your word says in Psalm 33, our soul waits for the Lord. You are our help and you are our shield for our heart is glad in you because we trust in your holy name. Let your steadfast love, O oh Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you.